0: Can I show you my latest piece?
1: Yes, I would love to see it.
0: Okay, hang on a second. Okay. All right. So my most recent piece is called Black Sheep. And it's the main piece that I did during the pandemic. And it it was my attempt to sort of capture the malaise that was like washing over everybody during isolation. The image that you see here behind me Features a black sheep. So the sheep's face is executed in really contemporary Coast Salish art. But the sheep's body is composed of these wolf mouths. Um, The tongues are going in different directions. Uh, For me, I often use a jumble of wolf mouths to represent stress or anxiety. But what I wanted to capture here is that our past experiences aren't something that we can set down like a piece of baggage and then walk away from them. They're living breathing parts of ourselves that we have to learn to live in symbiosis with so the real pathway to happiness is not to try to set things down and walk away from them they will always be part of you
1: that's beautiful louis gong is known as one of the most successful native american visual artists in the country but he didn't start making art professionally until he was in his 30s At the beginning of Louis's artistic career, he wanted to find a way to sell and license his work without having to go through a gallery or a museum. So he founded his own company, Eighth Generation. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living, an REI Co-op Studios production. Louis started Eighth Generation in 2008 in his 200-square-foot living room. Today, the brand is in a 30,000-square-foot space In the heart of Seattle, the company partners with more than 40 Native American artists around the U.S. to design, to manufacture, and to market beautiful wool blankets, art prints, home goods, and more. Louis' own art is unique. It features bold, graphic depictions of animals and geometric patterns. He draws inspiration from the traditional symbols of Coast Salish art, as well as his natural environment, Life experiences and his upbringing. Louis Gong, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living.
0: I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: You're this badass businessman who started your own brand, Eighth Generation. Can you just tell me a little bit about where you grew up and and sort of what what it's like?
0: Yeah, I grew up I grew up in Nooksack, which is the in the foothills of Mount Baker, which is in the North Cascades. And um, it's a beautiful, lush, natural environment um, surrounded by cedar trees, maple trees, ferns, huckleberries, the Nooksack River.
1: What area is that?
0: (laughs) Nooksack is about 15 minutes north of Bellingham, Washington, right up near the Canadian border.
1: Oh, amazing. High up there. Okay.
0: So I'll say something that will challenge listeners conception of what it means to be an indigenous person because I'm standing here in front of you a Nooksack tribal member who is indigenous to the United States but I'm actually a Canadian citizen so I was born about six or seven miles north of the U.S. Canada border and moved to the Nooksack tribal community on the U.S. side of the border when I was about 10 so it just demonstrates that indigenous Communities were here, and those political boundaries between countries were drawn and often separated our communities, like they did for Nooksack. So, to take it one step further, when I was in my teen years and my resident alien or green card uh, paperwork lapsed, I was both indigenous to the United States and undocumented. Those kind of experiences really launched me into a purposeful exploration around identity. I'm Chinese, native, and white. Uh, My last name is Gong, but I grew up in a tribal community. And um, when I tell people that I'm Asian, native, and white, a lot of times they react as if it's really unique. And in terms of storytelling, it is really rare because people don't talk about it. But in the Pacific Northwest where I'm from, There are lots of spaces where Asian and Native people, this is mostly at the lower rungs of the socioeconomic ladder, found themselves together. Um, I'm talking about in the canneries, um, in the berry fields, Um, Indigenous people in this area were the first sort of migrant workers. And um, that's how my grandma and grandpa met. Um, So it's not as uncommon as a lot of people think to be Asian and Native in the area that I'm from. So tell
1: me more about your upbringing. I know you were raised by your grandparents, but they passed away when you were really young.
0: You know, from the age of 14 on, I was largely on my own in the Nooksack tribal community. So all through high school, you know, I was solving problems that I was very resentful of at the time. Like, oh, I need to get garbage bags. I need to get money for dish soap. These are the kind of things that I had in addition to the typical stuff that teenagers have to deal with um, at a very early age. And I didn't know it at the time, but solving those problems in my teen years really set me up for being able to solve business problems in my 30s and 40s. I don't see barriers as being barriers the same way that other people see them. And when there's an element of chaos, as there always is in a small but rapidly growing company, uh, I was not as nervous as most people uh, tend to be in those situations.
1: Before Louis became a business owner, he studied psychology and became a child and family therapist. He worked primarily in schools addressing racial and cultural identity. From there, he went on to work as an administrator at a tribal college, For Louis, social justice and equity has been at the heart of his work since his early career. Those values carried over when he decided to pursue art full-time. His work has always been about empowering Native people. How did you decide to pursue art at 30 though? Like, what were you doing before?
0: Oh yeah, so growing up in the rural community that I grew up in, sports were really popular and the arts less so and so for me being focused on just finding a way to fit in because i always felt like i was on the outskirts i pursued sports in my effort to fit in and these natural instincts that i had shown over the years towards the arts really got minimized like all the way through middle school i had this keyboard that i would carry with me everywhere i went i had no idea how to play it but i was interested I also had a video camera that I would carry around with me all the time while I was in high school. Even though I showed a lot of interest in the arts, there wasn't one time where an adult came to me and said, hey, Louie, you seem really interested in the arts. Why don't you come have this experience with this group of people? Those kinds of opportunities just didn't really exist in the sports focused rural community that I was in in high school. So fast forward To me, going through college and going through graduate school, Um, I found myself in higher ed administration at a tribal college, and I've always been a little scattered in the way that I think, and I started to recognize that doodling during staff meetings was one way that I could help maintain focus and in you know 2004, 2005, I started to develop some competency in drawing, and I knew that because my colleagues would see what I drew during the staff meeting and ask for it. And by 2006, when I started drawing on shoes for the first time, all my colleagues had offices that were just laden with my office meeting doodles.
1: So when did you realize that you could make art outside of doodling at work?
0: Yeah, so in the Pacific Northwest, we have this huge cultural event called tribal journeys and it's when all the tribes who are along the northwest coast take an ocean-going canoe and travel from their community and go to a host community it can be hundreds of miles and in order for them to come ashore they have to do protocol to ask permission from the host community to come ashore and the community takes the time to do that with every single canoe, and sometimes this takes multiple days. In 2006, when I was working at the Muckleshoot Tribal College, Muckleshoot was hosting Tribal Journeys that year, and in Tribal communities, a lot of times when you host a party, you do not get gifts, you give gifts, so As someone who was on the periphery of the Muckleshoot community, I was invited to help make hand drums as giveaway items for tribal journeys. And at this point, I had dabbled in art a little bit, but not much. But when the people that I was making these giveaway items with recognized that I could paint a straight line, they said, hey, Louie, why don't we all make the drums and you can paint all of them? So over the course of about six months, I painted about 30 or 40 designs on hand drums. And it was that experience that awakened this love of the cultural art form that is sort of my birthright to practice as a Coast Salish person. So the real genesis of eighth generation happened when I saw a friend wearing a pair of Vans. And it sparked this memory of when I was a kid and always wanted a pair of Vans, but we just weren't able to afford them. And so I decided in my early 30s to go out and get my first pair of Vans. And I stood in front of a huge wall full of a selection of Van shoes. And I realized that not one design on the shelf reflected my experience. And I decided to take a plain gray pair of Vans home. And a couple of weeks later, I customized them in a way that I thought reflected my identity. I wore them to work the next day. And my colleagues saw the shoes that I was wearing and they were like, Oh my God, those are sick. Where'd you get those? And how can I get a pair? And in that moment, I started to recognize that I was capturing this merger of something that's pop culture, which were the shoes and the traditional art form, which was my coast Salish art. And even though there was that much of a demand for the work that I was creating, I looked at all the pathways available to me trying to make a sustainable living from my artwork, and I realized that all those pathways were laden with middlemen. And to me, that represented a problem. I wanted to control the narrative over my work, and I wanted to make sure that I was getting the money, and I also wanted to acquire the knowledge about how to bring my art to market. And in all the pathways that existed, I'm talking about galleries, museums, uh, working with a third party company that might just license your art. There was not the opportunity to acquire that knowledge. So I started off with no business experience and no money, but step by step over the course of the next 10 years, I set out to solve those problems and had a great deal of success doing that.
1: So let me ask you, when you drew on those vans, What was the image?
0: The very first pair of vans that I drew on had a paw. And I was thinking, I'm drawing on something that goes on my feet. My art skills are not that developed. What's something simple that would represent my feet? And so I drew what I was thinking of as a bear paw.
1: Can you describe how you combine like traditional Native art with more urban contemporary design?
0: Yeah, as Native people, we grow up with a lot of expectations around what our cultural art should look like. As individual Native artists, we have to do the work to decide how much of what we're hearing should get incorporated into our own personal aesthetic. But then there's also this idea of the themes that get incorporated into Coast Salish cultural art. A lot of times they're animal figures that are important to us culturally. And at some point I realized, man, I keep drawing orcas and wolves and they're super cool and people love them. But when was the last time I actually seen an orca in real life or a wolf? And it was an authenticity check on myself, right? And it was around this time that I started drawing my cat because As a legitimate Nooksack tribal member, a Coast Salish artist, I am constantly surrounded by my cat. It's a part of my life. And my art is a representation of my lived experience. And my cat is an authentic theme for my Coast Salish art. Um, There are a lot of purists that are more traditional that may not like the idea that I will draw my cat. But I personally feel more authentic around my art when it's a reflection of my lived experience.
1: Pictures of Louis' shoes made their way online in 2007. His distinctive designs celebrate his multicultural background and they clearly struck a chord. Within a year, Louis had 50,000 followers on social media. As Louis dove deeper into his art, he began to apply his social justice values to a larger vision. It wasn't just about selling his art. He wanted to help other Native artists find the same kind of success. When we come back, Louis talks about the early days of 8th Generation, and he explains their tagline, Inspired Natives, Not Native Inspired. Artist, activist, and entrepreneur Louis Gong is one of the most well known native artists in the United States. He's brought contemporary Coast Salish art to the public eye. When Louis became an artist, he had no idea that he would soon be a business owner as well. What started as a side gig became the nationally known brand Eighth Generation. So, what year did you start Eighth Generation?
0: I took a little bit of a slow roll with Eighth Generation. So I started uh, drawing on shoes and posting them to social media in 2007 or 2008. The business entity Eighth Generation was created in 2008, uh, but I didn't quit my day job at Muckleshoot Tribal College until 2013. So there were five years there that I was doing my day job, developing the business one little step at a time. Again, I don't have any business training, so I had to learn everything from scratch, from, you know, how to vectorize my art, how to make a product, how to manage a website. And simultaneously, I was also working with a national nonprofit doing work around race and identity. And so by the time 2012 came around, I was very practiced at recognizing the tools that I was bringing and the energy that I was bringing to the table and my authentic story and valuing it. And it was with that energy that I quit my day job in 2013 and launched full speed ahead with eighth generation.
1: I think it's really refreshing that you didn't just quit your day job.
0: My number one advice to people is to keep your day job until outside of your day job, you're generating enough income to pay your bills.
1: And that's really smart advice. Okay. So tell us about eighth generation. What is it? And, um, how you came up with it and and how it's evolved?
0: Yeah. So eighth generation is the business entity that I created to sell the shoes. Once I started bringing my art to market, I recognized that I needed to get my art directly to consumers. So in 2007 and eight, there really wasn't native businesses selling directly to Consumers. It was all done through third parties, whether it was a gallery or a third-party company or some non-native broker in between. So it was really revolutionary at that point. So 8th Generation's focus was not on selling original art, but on selling products that we were creating with indigenous artists. Of course, we started with my art on phone cases and jewelry that we were making right in the 8th Generation studios here in Seattle. I started off in a 300-square-foot studio. By the way, now 8th Generation has a 30,000 square foot space right in Seattle. The focus was on creating products that we were selling directly to consumers. Once I started having some success with my art, I started reaching out to other Indigenous artists who were in the same position as me and needed help to bring their art to market. Um, I started with Michelle Loudon, who's Acoma Pueblo, and her art is very different from mine, but also very product-friendly. Eventually, we just kept adding artists region by region. So 8th Generation very quickly went from a local brand to a national brand because we had representations from all regions around the country. And now 8th Generation currently works with over 40 different artists.
1: Can you talk to me a little bit about the difference between inspired natives versus native-inspired and the importance of buying art from native artists?
0: One of the problems for aspiring Native artists and entrepreneurs is that the market for products with Native art on them is totally saturated by corporations producing fake Native art. So how do you get a spot on the shelf when, for centuries, the market for what you do has been dominated by businesses that do not want to give up their space? One tool that we have is the American Indian Arts and Crafts Act. Um, this act was has been around for a while, and it was invigorated in the early 90s. And what it says is that you can't call something Native if it had nothing to do with Native people. You know, revolutionary, right? <laughs> you can't lie about your product is what it says. And
1: But like everybody lies about their products. Like,
0: yes. So even though it is a law, it's only so good as our ability to enforce it. And... The reality is that the American Arts and Crafts Board does not have the capacity to address all instances of cultural appropriation in business. This is how Eighth Generation gets to its tagline, which is inspired natives, not native inspired. Inspired natives are the indigenous people who are creating the aesthetic that consumers want to align with and the, have lived the stories that consumers want to. Connect to and native inspired is the confusing term that companies have used to describe their fake native art for decades.
1: Traditional native designs are frequently co opted by non native companies. Appropriation of indigenous art has been happening for a long time, and Louis saw a solution. He created a brand that sells and licenses. Native art across the country in a way that empowers Indigenous artists. In 2022, after leading eighth generation for almost 15 years, Louis decided to make a big decision. He wanted to hand off the reins to someone who could continue to help the brand grow. He decided to step down as CEO and the company hired former Seattle mayoral candidate Colleen Echohawk to take his place. But before he left, Louis finalized a project that brought his time with 8th Generation full circle. The brand was born when Louis drew his Coast Salish art on shoes. Now he's launching a collaboration with Brooks Running to create a custom shoe design. How does 8th Generation collaborate with other brands? Like I think you recently did a collaboration with Brooks Running.
0: Yeah, so when larger companies have tried to reach out to eighth generation, it's exciting. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's super exciting when we hear from a big company that wants to work with us. But in our conversations, we never compromise about what it is that we're looking for in these collaborations. We know because we work with about 40 artists and provide them with a breadth of opportunity, not just a small royalty for their art, that it's possible to do so and still be profitable. So when a large company wants to work with us as the smaller partner, we expect the same thing that we're able to give our artist partners. I was very excited because I started off drawing on shoes that towards the end of my tenure as the leader at Eighth Generation, I heard from the Brooks Running Shoe Company um, and that they wanted to collaborate with me to develop not just a shoe, but a whole collection. I got really excited about that first because It brought my journey full circle and was a great tool for me to remind people that, hey, I didn't start off in business school or with a trust fund. I started off with a Sharpie and a pair of Vans. Um, But also through our conversations with Brooks, we realized that they're in the proper mental space to listen to eighth generation and meet us where our expectations were at for a business partnership.
1: So what are you guys making? Obviously, shoes, I'm guessing.
0: We're making a beautiful pair of uh, trail shoes. My medium for this project was the Cascadia running shoe, which is one of the most popular uh, trail running shoes. A lot of people run in it. And um, we're also doing shoes, socks, a hat, maybe some other products that really help round out a full collection. The theme for the collection, which is super fun and engaging, is sasquatch so in this collaboration uh, with brooks we wanted to have a fun take on sasquatch but for me personally i wanted to make sure that our interpretation of sasquatch was not some kitschy like hairy ape living in the woods wanted to make it a more sophisticated and nuanced interpretation of Sasquatch, which meant leaning on the stories that I heard growing up as a kid in my own tribal community.
1: Which were what? I want to hear them really quickly.
0: Yeah. So there's many different ones and all communities have different versions of Sasquatch. But my interpretation of Sasquatch is that Sasquatch is a shapeshifter that turns into plants.
1: Oh, so interesting.
0: On, yeah. So on the artwork, you will see Sasquatch mid-transition from its conventional shape that most people are familiar with uh, to that of a big leaf maple. And the other elements in the design you know, include the big leaf maple leaf, huckleberries and the huckleberry leaves, and licorice ferns.
1: Okay, so let's talk about what are you up to now that you're retired? Like, are you going to go out into nature more? Are you going to have, or do you have any trips planned? Are you still doing some art projects?
0: As a kid growing up um, in my community, you know, my favorite toys were sticks and rocks. And my grandma and grandpa let me run freely around in the woods, like for hours and hours on end. And so for the last 10 years, I've sort of been envisioning what I might do if I had a little more free time. And in 2022, I finally have that free time and I hightailed it for the woods. Um, I'm very lucky in Seattle that only 20 minutes away is, you know, the Snoqualmie uh, traditional lands. Shout out to Snoqualmie who actually purchased eighth generation from me. Um, So I go to their traditional territory, which looks a lot like the area that I grew up in. And I frolic and I've spent a lot of time just being a student Uh, Getting in touch with my inner child because the ferns that I see, the huckleberries that I see, all carry memories of when I was a kid. Um, I'm trying to anchor myself in those memories, but take my knowledge a little bit further. So actually learning about the plants, their traditional uses um, is a focus for me now. And uh, also, I'm really trying to shift my mindset from what has made me successful in business, which is sort of around achievement, uh, thinking about timelines and that, to really collaborating with the natural environment during my time in those spaces. Um, so I have an agenda to try to get things done, but I'm mostly trying to sort of frolic without a timeline um, and just enjoy the healing that happens naturally in nature. I mean, I think a lot of people know how the water is cleansing, And being where you're at in California, you probably recognize how when the wave washes over you, it can feel really, really cleansing. And the same is true, you know, walking through the lush foliage here in the Cascade Mountains. If I'm walking along a trail that has like ferns growing on the side, I often like put my hands out and sort of let the ferns sort of brush past my hands. And in the same way that water can sort of take away the things that are worrying you Soak in those plants
1: louis gong thank you so much for coming on wild ideas worth living i love what you do i love your art i love your thoughtfulness your drive and your commitment to art and justice if you want to learn more about louis gong and the projects that he's up to now check out his instagram at Louie Gong, that's L-O-U-I-E G-O-N-G. To learn more about Eighth Generation and to stay in the loop on their latest designs, check out their website at eighthgeneration.com. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI podcast network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, written and edited by Annie Fassler and Sylvia Thomas of Puddle Creative. Our senior producer is Chelsea Davis. And our associate producer is Jenny Barber. Our executive producers are Motola and Joe Crosby. Shout out to Joe. Joe recently went salmon fishing, but he only caught sharks. As always, we love it when you follow the show, when you rate it, and when you write a review wherever you listen, because I read every single one of your reviews, and they mean a lot. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas.